Hey everyone, welcome to episode 107 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week we sat down and chatted with the person behind the popular Instagram account, Public Lands Hate You. <laughs> Over the past year, uh, the Instagram account Public Lands Hate You has grown exponentially in popularity as we have been seeing more and more people in public land doing things that are damaging these places we all cherish as landscape photographers. Public Lands Hate You reshares photos that are posted to Instagram that showcase people engaging in behavior that is either illegal or is perceived to be damaging to public lands. In this episode of the podcast, we had a really fascinating and engaging conversation about why they created this Instagram account, what their goal is for the account, their methodologies for showcasing illegal and bad behavior in the outdoors, the psychology behind some of the behavior we see in the outdoors, how to change that behavior, uh, the use of shaming versus education, um, and we talk a little bit about some of the backlash they have received since creating the account. We also answered a ton of listener questions, so thank you so much for submitting those. This week on Patreon, we talk about some of his favorite interactions, both positive and negative, with other accounts on Instagram. Okay, well, special thanks to our incredible Patreon supporters and podcast producers. I really can't do this podcast without your support, so thank you to these folks who are contributing at the $20 a month level and higher on Patreon. We have Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Lori Berenson, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bakavoy, Matthias at Photomagica, Richard Wong, Kelly Buchelern, and Matthew Boone. All right, let's get to the show. Well, uh, quote-unquote, Steve, <laughs> uh, welcome to F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Hey, um, I'm excited for this episode. I have a closed Facebook group for the podcast where listeners can kind of stay engaged and ask questions of upcoming guests. Uh, there was a ton of interest in this episode, so I was really happy to see that, and I think it will. it's going to help generate a lot of conversation today, so that's that's really cool. Yeah, that, that's great. I, I'm not surprised. Um, it's definitely a polarizing topic that people have a, a lot to say about, uh, obviously. Yeah, so you run the Instagram account uh, known as Public Lands Hates You. And I'm not sure, how long have you been uh, doing doing that? So I started the Public Lands Hate You account back in July of 2018. So it hasn't even been a year. And I started the account um after continually seeing people abuse our public lands. Um, you know, I'm an, an avid user of national forests, national parks, um, wilderness areas and things like that. And I, I had some friends uh, come and visit and we went out to a, a wilderness area and the amount of disrespect that we saw just, it blew my mind. The, the, the mm -hmm. campsite that we were staying at has this beautiful pine tree that's overlooking a, an alpine lake. And you know, somebody in their infinite wisdom decided it was a great idea to carve their initials into this tree. 
uh, <laughs> on our hike down, we saw a campfire that was in a no campfire zone that they hadn't fully and they hadn't fully extinguished that fire. And then even you know, continuing our hike down, you know, switchbacks being cut by people, just endless. And I, I kind of stewed over that on the, the three hour drive home and said, you know, there's got to be something, some way that I can vent my frustration about this. So I started the the Instagram account where I started to post photos that I took or um, post news stories that I'd seen about people abusing public lands, just as a way for me to personally vent my frustration at the amount of uh, abuse and disrespect that I was seeing on our mm-hmm. public lands. Yeah, that's interesting. It's funny. I So I, I've been using public lands ever since I was before I could probably even have memories. I, my, my, my parents uh, would always take me up into the mountains here in Colorado. And ever since I was tiny, tiny little kid, like one, two years old, my dad was trying to uh, climb the highest hundred mountains in Colorado back in like the seventies and eighties. And so he would take me along on those adventures and we would climb mountains together and do a lot of camping on the weekends and things like that. And, um, Ever since I can remember, you know, we would show up to campsites and this was back in the 80s and early 90s when there really wasn't a lot of, there, there was a lot less use of the public lands than there is today. And even then there was, we would show up to campsites and I remember the very first thing we would do is we would spend about two hours every time cleaning up the campsite because people had left behind trash, they had created you know, multiple firings, there was glass and metal and all kinds of crazy stuff in the firings that people had burned. And I guess from an early age, I was instilled with the value that these places should be kept as special as possible so that we can enjoy them for years to come. And so it's interesting that that isn't a value that everyone shares. <laughs> yeah, it, it is very interesting. And I was kind of brought up uh, you know, the same way that it sounds like you were. I have a picture um, in a backpack when I was three months old, cross-country skiing with my parents. Um, right. So <laughs> it, it's always, you know, I've always been in the outdoors. I, I like to call them my vacation home. Uh, I don't have a house up on the lake or up in the mountains. So my vacation home is my tent and I take it where I want to go. And uh, I think it's interesting that you, you mentioned how your parents instilled in you the value of treating these um, areas with respect and how you go out and, and, and clean these, these places up. Uh, I think that nowadays a lot more people are thinking about those kind of things, especially the people who grew up doing it. But I also think that now there's a much, there's a, many, many more people who are using our public lands. So mm-hmm. the effect, I think it balances out, you know, we've got more people who are aware of what they should and shouldn't be doing and are being respectful and and doing the right thing. But we also have more people who aren't. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's a, it seems like every time I go out, I, I always encounter either evidence that somebody didn't have the same, um, ethical considerations that I would hope people would have, or I actually witness people doing things that clear, are clear indications that they just don't have that instilled in them. And, and I think oftentimes, I don't, I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are, but I, for me personally, I think oftentimes a lot of people um, don't necessarily, aren't necessarily aware that they're doing these things, that um, 
They just have never either considered that what they're doing may not be the best thing to do Mm -hmm. or the, or they just, you know, like they just, um, they haven't thought about it or no one has explained to them what the impact of their action could have. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. And, um, I think that a, a lot of that is due to the amount of people who are new to the outdoors and are kind of flocking to the outdoors to enjoy them and to, uh, you know, take pictures and maybe replicate pictures that they've seen other photographers take or their friends take. And mm-hmm. you know, I think that people see these pictures and they, they want to go out and they want to get that same picture. Um, whether they're interested in, you know, the actual beauty of that area, or they're just trying to, you know, doing it for the gram, if you will, uh, <laughs> is up for debate. We could debate that all day long, but there's definitely more people going out and, and, who aren't really aware. And I think that that's why education is one of the most important things, you know, getting the word out there that, okay, yeah, like here's this beautiful picture that I took by a waterfall. But when you go here, stay on the trail, um, follow the rules, read the, read the rules at the trailhead, um, know what's allowed and what's not allowed. And and those sort of things. It, it really doesn't take much effort. It's really just getting people to, to think about it. That's the first step. And once people start to think about it, um, that's when the ball really starts rolling and we can start to have an impact on how people are acting. Yeah, well, I definitely want to touch on this idea of education um, later on in the conversation uh, because I think uh, that's an interesting um, debate in its own right. Uh, so it's, it seems like, uh, your kind of, when you first created the account, it seems as though it was kind of more your way of just venting your frustration about the things you were seeing, but it seems to me like over the course of the last year that the account has definitely kind of taken on a different life, um, or a life of its own in terms of the types of things that you're trying to accomplish and, the types of things that you're posting that are obviously not just things that you've seen, but that other people are submitting to you or that you've seen on Instagram or whatever. So what, uh, what is your ultimate goal for the account now that you've been up for a year? You know, I'm still kind of working through that at this point. (laughs) I I never expected it to to get as big as it's gotten, you know, it had up until a month ago or a month and a half ago, there was, 300 followers and now there's 40, 43,000. Um, so I'm, I'm really still kind of, um, working through that. What's the, what is the best way to kind of, uh, educate people and, and provide, you know, uh, push things in the right direction, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. I think at this point, what I'm trying to do is just get, get the word out there to as many people as I can that, Hey, you really need to be thinking about what you're doing when you're visiting our public lands, be it a national park, national forest, your local community. Think about what you're doing and how what you're doing is going to impact that park and also impact the experience of the people who are coming after you do. Not just thinking about you, you, you and, and what you need to do to, to get that awesome picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think. One of the challenges that you're probably facing, especially in the last month or two, is that I feel like 
a lot of the people that are contributing to this problem, their intention probably wasn't necessarily to quote unquote do it for the gram. Although I know that there's a lot of people out there that, you know, that is their motivation, that they are trying to monetize uh, photography and get brands to pay them or give them free gear so the, to use their photography and things of that nature. I know that does motivate some people and it's something that I'm very personally very vocal about in my own social media accounts myself. But what do you say about the people that uh, they're just out trying to have a good time? Maybe they saw an Instagram post of let's say the poppy fields, for example, they really wanted to just go experience that place and maybe take a picture of themselves in that place to, you know, the underlying motives, who knows why they wanted to go. But uh, what what would you say about people that aren't necessarily intentionally have bad motives? Yeah. And I, I think that there are very few people who go out with the intention of doing something harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's just... Not many people are like that. Uh, I do, however, think that continuing to use the poppy field example, I think that a lot of people go out because they see it and it's be- it's undeniably beautiful and they want to go and experience it for themselves. And nobody, I, I think, I don't think that there's a lot of people who go out saying, hey, let's go out to the poppy fields and do it for the gram. Um, but, you know, somebody who maybe has 500 followers on Instagram is going to go out there and nobody wants to post a uh, bad picture, if you will. So <laughs> people do, you know, people do all sorts of crazy things to get a cool picture that you know paints them in the best light and paints the environment um, in the most beautiful light that they can. And a lot of the times, uh, that can be harmful. And and using the poppy fields for an example. Uh, there's very few pictures that show people on the official trails. The vast majority of the pictures show people walking through an untouched wildflower field or sprawled out in a wildflower field because, you know, it is a cool picture. It, 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 it's really neat. You're laying down in this orange field of flowers and there's nothing else but you and the flowers. I, I'm not going to deny that the pictures are really, really cool, but I think that people are losing sight of what what kind of impact that doing that is going to have. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I agree. So in regards to kind of the the poppy field thing, you know, I've one of my really good friends, uh, Sarah Marino, has a kind of a question related to that and kind of what what you've been sharing on 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 your account. So her her kind of question is like. In regards to the poppy fields, it seems like it's hard to know exactly based on the photograph if that person is on trail or off trail based on the, the picture that is shown sometimes. So, for example, one of your stories yesterday was sh- uh, shaming a person in a field of wildflowers, but it looked like the person was standing on a trail or a, or bare dirt. She thought maybe it was a little bit harsh, a little bit of a harsh assessment. And there's obviously going to be gray zones in regards to to this topic, whereas your account seems to be demanding perfection or risk being shamed. So what are your thoughts on that? It's like that person said, it's definitely a gray area and I'm, I'm definitely, I'm aware of that. Um, so what I, when I'm deciding, okay, am I going to repost this to share with people? Um, there's a lot of flexibility there and there's a number of things that go into my decision 
of, okay, am I going to do a post on this? Am I going to do a story on this? Um, first and foremost is, okay, what is the person in this picture doing? Are they clearly off trail? Are they laying spread eagle in a wildflower field with a geotag in the Walker Canyon poppy fields, which are a protected area? <laughs> okay, yes, they are. That's an easy decision. Um, what I what I try to do in the vast majority of the, with the vast majority of the content that I share is I try to reach out to the people who post these pictures directly. I'll either make a comment or maybe message them and say, "Hey, what's going on? Here? Why are you doing this? This isn't okay." To kind of give them an opportunity to respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish that more people responded in a positive manner, but a lot of times they don't. So the next factor that goes into it is, okay, what's the response? Um, have, have I or other people reached out to this person that has this picture? In the, and what was the response? Did this person tell the, the people who are trying to educate them about their harmful actions? Did they just say, hey, screw off. We we don't care. You know, stop. What are you, the poppy police? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So if I, I see kind of that ignorance or lack of even wanting to learn anything new, that's another factor. Now, the third factor is how many followers does this person have? You know, if it's somebody who's just sharing a picture with their family and friends, they get a hundred followers eh, whatever they, I'll, I might leave a comment. I'm probably not going to follow up on it. Um, when you start getting into influencers or companies, then it becomes a little bit easier for me to justify saying, okay, I, I, I don't care. I, I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to send a message. You're in the poppy fields. You're trying to sell stuff to people. Um, you have a responsibility with 100,000 followers or whatever it may be to think about what you're showing 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the pic- the picture that you might be referring to that I shared in my story yesterday was the person who was advertising a hat. Does that sound about right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So that was a company that that shared that, not an individual. And that's why I just said, you know, companies need to be thinking about this. You can't you can't just go out into um, onto a public land, walk through the wildflower fields to sell a sixty eight dollar fedora. I, I'm not okay with that. <laughs> yeah. And and that's why I shared that one. And and I do agree with you. Yeah, that one wasn't quite as obvious as the others, but uh, when it's a, a company doing it. And you know, they're trying to sell something, they're trying to profit, they need to be much more aware of, of what they're doing, in, in my opinion. I, I really enjoy that, or I really appreciate that you actually have kind of developed a, um, I don't know, this may be the right, wrong word, but a triage system per se to kind of think through whether or not it's worth following up on this particular post and how egregious is it and what is the potential impact of the post that is being shared. Because like you said, with great power comes great responsibility. If you've got 100,000, 200,000, half a million, a million Instagram followers, like your voice is so much louder than someone who has 500 or even 1,000 or 10,000 Instagram followers. And and it's going to be seen by that many more eyeballs. And then it's just like a, it's almost like a disease. I mean, if you're going to have a hundred thousand people see something and say to themselves, well, that seems to be like a good idea or that behavior seems to be okay. Cause this company says it's cool. And if I, if I do it, I'll look really cool. Just like this person in the fedora looks. So I'm going to go do it mm-hmm. too. You're right. That does have a much larger impact on those places than if it was 
someone else. So I, I appreciate yeah. that approach. <laughs> And that's a that's a conversation. That exact convers- the thought process that, that you just had is a conversation that I've had with. I can't even count how many influencers. And influencers is kind of a flexible term, but for me, generally, I I kind of use ten thousand followers or more as a, a general number. Um, sure, I've had that conversation. That look, you've got ten thousand followers. I, I understand that your um, footprints through the wildflower field. They don't by themselves have a huge impact. I'm not going to deny that. But what I am saying is what message are you sending to 10,000 other people? And what are those 10,000 people going to do to get that same picture? And if 10,000 people go out or say even 1% of 10,000, if 100 people go out and do that same thing, what's the impact going to be? Mm -hmm. And another thing that a lot of a lot of the time when I leave a comment on a picture is, oh, well, we used Photoshop or we used a a really creative camera angle to make it look like we weren't on a trail, but we were on a trail. Trust us. And okay, that's all. That's fine. But again, what is the message that the picture is sending? Mm -hmm. Um, We all know that not many Instagram is very visual based. There's not a lot of people who are going to read all 2200 characters on a post. So one of the things that I've really tried to uh, push really hard with people with big followings is you need to be very deliberate and very clear with the message that your picture is sending. Even if it's a creative camera angle that show makes it look like you weren't on the trail. What are people, what are your followers going to do to get that same picture if they don't have the awesome uh, photography skills that you have, might they go out and just walk through wildflower field to get that same picture? And I, I kind of use that to get them thinking about that. And that's been been effective in um, quite a few cases. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it's kind of like that. Uh, I think maybe even your, your account posted about it. And it's something I've been thinking a lot about. And I've seen other people uh, post about it a bit. And that's like when people are posting pictures of somebody standing like on top of a darch and, but like, then they say, well, mm-hmm. I Photoshopped, um, the person standing on top of the arch. So it's okay. And to your point, you know, when it comes to human behavior, monkey see monkey do there, I, I think a lot of, a lot of people listening to the podcast know I have a psychology background and, you know, there's a, there's something that people should maybe learn a little bit about in terms of kind of behavior and that's social learning theory, which was actually uh, developed uh, by a psychologist named Albert Bandera, uh, Bandura. And basically mm-hmm. the idea is that when people see uh, behavior, it kind of goes through this filtering system in your, in your mind and you kind of decide based on what happens after that behavior happens, what did that get something that was pleasing or not pleasing? And then that makes them decide whether or not they're also going to imitate that behavior, especially if their observational experience are positive ones or include rewards such as getting more followers on Instagram or getting someone Mm -hmm. to pay you to take photos for Instagram and things like that. So I mean, I think it's a perfect example of social learning theory, and and it's it's a really interesting. We're just seeing it over and over and over again that people are wanting to imitate this behavior, not because not because they think it quote unquote looks cool, but I think there's a more there's more underlying mechanisms behind the behavior. 
Yeah. And, and I agree with that. And to, to kind of put that on the flip side, I, what, one of my goals with this account is to kind of make things like that, like Photoshopping yourself onto the arch or standing on the arch, um, make it so that there's, there isn't that positive reward. And, um, there's actually a, a negative kind of, you get start getting negative feedback to kind of make it so that these things are socially unacceptable to kind of change that tide so that people say, okay, if I post this, uh, how's that going to make me look? Are my friends going to like this? Or are they going to say, hey, man, that's not cool. That's harmful. And it's actually been surprising to me that there, there has been I've seen it personally with this account. There have been a number of people who have sent me pictures of their friends or family members or uh, people that they know and said, hey, this is my friend. I, I really don't like what they're doing. Can you reach out to them? I say, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, but you should do the same. You should let them know that you, as their friend, um, you don't think that's cool and you and you don't like that. And um, you know, let them know that and, and it start changing kind of that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. A lot of the questions that I got for this episode on Facebook, on our Facebook page or our Facebook group, was uh, was around this idea of how do we change people's behavior? Because, um, kind of to your point around the different ways, like you know, negative versus positive punishment or reinforcement. You know, there's basically only you know, in terms of operant conditioning, anyway, there's only only four four ways to change behavior. There's, you know, positive or negative punishment or positive and ne or negative reinforcement, which the positive and negative basically is either introducing a reward or taking a reward away to either encourage or discourage behavior. And it seems like a, your approach has been, for the most part anyway, to, to do a lot of, I guess it would be uh, negative, uh, punishment in terms of taking away people's, I don't know, sense of looking cool and mm -hmm. hopefully discouraging the behavior from occurring in the future. But I've also seen, yeah. I think recently you've been taking a little bit different approach as well in terms of identifying uh, when people do change their behavior and, and, and kind of thanking them for that. So have you seen, I guess my question, <laughs> my question is, have you seen different impacts of different approaches, uh, either working more or less effectively? I guess I haven't really spent that much time uh, thinking about it. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm relatively, this whole thing is relatively new to me. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing a lot here by trial and error. I do agree with what you said that a lot of uh, what I'm doing is more on the negative side, trying to discourage people from doing things by uh, calling them out or calling you know, contacting their sponsors and saying that, that what they're doing isn't okay. I do where, when I can, I do like to share those positive stories. There have been a number of people and companies who have responded really well. And it's, I wish more people would do that. I wish that there were more uh, success stories, if you will, with people coming in out and saying, uh, hey, yeah, I screwed up. This is how I screwed up. This is what I'm going to do to make it better. And this is what all of you, my followers, should also keep in mind. And I wish there was more of that, but but there there really isn't, mm -hmm. uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, I'm still kind of figuring out the best way to try and elicit more of those positive responses where people uh, not only just delete a picture, but 
realize that what they did does have an impact and they share that with their followers to to kind of spread that that message even further. Mhm. Yeah, I mean not to geek out on social psychology further, but uh there's there's a pretty well established um social psychology principle that really kind of explains why you don't see more people changing their behavior and it's it's known as cognitive dissonance. So if you think about like smokers, you know, I think most people who smoke know, you know, psychologically in a way, they understand that what they're doing is unhealthy and that it could kill them. <laughs> but the it's really hard for people to hold two truths in their mind, like, oh, I can be a good influencer and make a lot of money as an Instagrammer. And then the opposite and then the other thought is I can share things responsibly. And so I think it's hard for people to be able to hold both of those things at the same time. And then they have to, they have to pick between the two. At least that's the mechanism that occurs in people's minds. Right. And, and, but what I've seen is, is the opposite of that, that these people, you know, there was one, for one example, this, this person came out and she actually reposted the picture that I called out with big text over it that says, this is not okay, don't do this. And this was somebody who averaged maybe 100 likes on, on her pictures. And not that it's all about likes, but as an example, you know, that's all, all I really have for data. So she averaged about 100, but on this picture where she said, hey, this isn't okay, um, I shouldn't have done this, she has 1,400 likes. So there's a lot of support out there for people to come out and say, yeah, I I did screw up and I'm not going to do it in the future. And in the future, I am going to be responsible. And um, I I hope that I'm able to keep pushing that and pushing things in that direction and, and get more people who. Are, are willing to do that you know it's 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 okay to be wrong i've been wrong a couple of posts with a couple of posts that i've done and you just have to admit it nobody's nobody's really going to fault you for doing something wrong if you do what it takes to make it right everybody understands nobody's perfect i'm not perfect you're not perfect uh, nobody is it's how you react to those those times when you make a mistake that really shows your character and um, People like to see that. People like to know that, hey, this person isn't perfect, but they're going to try and do the right thing no matter what. Yeah, that's a great point because well, I know me personally, like I've definitely made mistakes over the over the years um, and in terms of like how I engage with people on social media or things that I say that I regret. And I have found that, you know, when I own up to that, um, for one, it makes me feel better, but also too, I think yep. people appreciate like, yeah, it's like, we all make mistakes and, you know, I think there's some truth in, you know, empathy. Um, I think empathy is kind of the antidote, antidote to shame. Like people can empathize. We all make mistakes and, you know, let's just admit that we made a mistake and what did we learn from it and let's move on. Yep. I agree. So kind of a corollary to that, um, one of the things I was curious about is that it seems like, and I could be wrong, so correct me if I am, but for the most part, when you do uh, end up posting stories or or posts um, about the things that you've seen or that people have shared with you that are behavior that have, is not things we want to see, you tend to do it. You don't you don't hide the people's identity. Like you make it very well known. Like this account with this username, with this many followers, um, this is what they've shared and why, this is why it's not, why I don't think it's a, 
why I don't think it's okay for them to have done this and here's why. Have you thought about uh, doing it more anonymously? Yeah, I have. And I actually did do one post. Um, I did a post about the Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington, D.C., and the importance of, again, following the rules there, not climbing on the cherry trees, not picking the cherry blossoms, just basic things. And and for that post, I did obscure people's identities. Um, one reason why I did that was because I hadn't reached out to those people, and um, mm. I didn't feel that that was necessarily fair. Um, and I got some feed. I got a lot of feedback, actually, that said, you know, why are you hiding their identities? What they're doing is wrong. Da, 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 da. But I still, I, I feel that I did the right thing there. And the, the most, you're right, most of what I post uh, does not hide the people's uh, Instagram handles. And the reason that I do that is that, as we discussed earlier, I personally, what I see in, in those pictures is somebody who's doing something that's harmful or they're being particularly um, ignorant about their their actions and the impact of their actions. And so I don't obscure their identities so that other people can go and, you know, say their piece, now, whether this person's a biologist or whether it's a park ranger, so that they can, so these people can really understand that, hey, you know, what you're doing isn't all right. And there's a lot of other people who think this isn't all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it fair? I think it is. Is it harsh? Definitely. But I, I, there's got to be so, something that changes in the way that uh, we're trying to educate people. You know, there's plenty of um, groups out there who try really hard to educate people about um, you know, behaving in a respectful way in our parks, whether it's Leave No Trace Center, whether it's um, park rangers or the national park service and clearly that message hasn't been getting through and so that's why i've continued to uh, not you know, not obscure people's instagram handles because i just i think it's time for to try to do something different to kind of to get the message across to people that hey this isn't okay and if um you know public shaming if you will if you want to call it that is one tool to do that then that's what i'm gonna do Mm -hmm. one of the um one of the listeners candy watson pointed out that in her opinion that the the public shaming can turn into a form of bullying um because that you know people will kind of jump on the bandwagon and just go out of their way to jump on that person's case kind of like what you're describing like hey this isn't okay but i think you know some people take it um, a little bit further to a lot further extremes, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to give you the chance to maybe address that particular concern and also maybe talk a little bit about what you're doing to try to educate your followers to not to not be bullies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what that uh, person mentioned is definitely true. You know, there is... If I'm posting to 40,000 people who obviously have a similar opinion to mine that, hey, this person is doing something wrong, there's obviously going to be people who uh, take things too far sometimes. And I, I understand that. And I 
like I, I believe that I'm doing all that I can to discourage that. You know, every day I post a story, you know, I call it my daily PSA that says, you know, no bullying, no name calling, be polite, leave educational comments, because that's really the most effective way. You know, going to somebody's page and, and calling them all sorts of names for doing something that they're not supposed to do is not effective. It's 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 not gonna help. And every every day I try and post that message to just remind people. I've done multiple posts about bullying and how you know being polite, being kind, and being respectful is the best way to do things. And again, I, I understand that there are people out there who will take things too far and will cross lines. And there's only so much I can do about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have had a number of people who I've called out privately message me and say, hey, a number of people are messaging me things that are mean, that are nasty, uh, whatever it is. And I say, okay, that's obviously I don't do those kind of things. I actively try to discourage those kind of things. But who's doing this? Send me their, uh, send me who's doing this so I can reach out to them personally and tell them that, hey, this isn't okay. You're shooting me in the foot with what I'm trying to do here by by being a nasty person. And I've done that to a number of, of followers of mine. And um, their response is typically, well, they deserve it. Da, 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 da. I say, it doesn't matter whether they deserve it or not. Nobody deserves to be treated like that. Nobody deserves to be called names for, for really anything. Everybody deserves to be treated with respect. And it's okay to disagree with people and have different opinions. You can do that respectfully. So, uh, you know, I, I do understand that there's that, that, that bullying thing and a number of people have brought that up and I'll continue to do whatever I can to encourage people to be respectful and try and get the message across in a, in a way that's going to further our cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious too. Um, have you seen any? I guess it's a two part question. First, have you seen any positive changes that have occurred through um, your posts, either through brands trying to influence people to change their behavior or individuals themselves coming forward and saying that because of your posts, they've changed their behavior? Yeah, so uh, not so much brands, a number of brands. Um, who have uh, sponsored influencers have reached out to those influencers and reached out to me and reached out to other people and said, Hey, yeah, this isn't, this is behavior that we don't condone. Um, We're going to try and make sure that this doesn't happen again in the future. As far as individuals, there have been literally hundreds of people either through comments or through messages who have said, wow, thank you for bringing uh, this topic, whatever it may be to my attention. This wasn't something that I had thought about and it's something that I'm thinking about now. So thank you. That's really cool. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of times people are only seeing the, I guess, seeing it as shaming. And I think that uh, it's interesting that you're also hearing from people telling you that, that what you're doing is actually getting them them to think about things differently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a number of comment threads on on a number of my posts where you People have kind of, I don't want to say come to my defense because I don't really need anybody to come to my defense. I feel that what I'm doing is um, having a net positive, but who have said, hey, you know, what this person is doing, I've learned something from this person and you could probably learn something from them too. Oh, interesting. 
So what, is, what does that usually look like? Because so they're basically trying to say in regards to what you're saying, they're, they're reaching out to other people. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So, so for an example, I did a post recently on mud season and the importance of, um, you know, as the snow is melting and the ground is thawing out, the importance of in certain areas staying off those trails because you can do a lot of damage to a trail or when it's muddy. And a number of people commented on that and said, oh, you know, you're such a, a negative Nancy, like now you just don't even want us out on the trails, but ba da ba ba. And a number of people responded by saying, well, Right. That's not what the goal is here. The goal is just to educate people. And yeah, um, that does, you know, not going on a money trail doesn't apply in all cases. There's a plenty of trails in the Pacific Northwest that are designed for people to use when it's money. But it's really just to, to kind of provoke thought and not, um, you know, give people a, a defined list of things that they can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny because that's one of the things that I try to make a distinguishing uh, this I try to distinguish for people about these sorts of movements um, is that it's not necessarily intended to be a black and white you can or cannot do X y and Z although I think when it comes to the law that changes a little bit because the law is usually pretty black and white um, and mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we end up seeing <laughs> in this area are things that are illegal mm-hmm. but <laughs> But outside of people that are breaking the laws and maybe just having uh, an impact that may, they may not be aware of, it's not necessarily to say, don't do these things. It's more like you said, maybe just think about whether or not what you're doing is going to have an impact or not. And if you can, you know, if you can think through in your mind, like, you know, I've thought about that and I don't think what I'm doing is going to have a significant impact on the trail or on the the landscape or whatever, or if I share this photo of this place or a bunch of people are going to, you know, if I geotag it or a bunch of people going to come here and make it worse. Like if you just start thinking about that stuff, I think that's a huge shift in terms of, of what impact we can have in terms of education. Yeah. It's 90% of the battle. I, I, I really think that it is. It's just getting people to, to stop and, and think. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Another question I had was, what kind of backlash um, are you seeing from Instagram users or or elsewhere um, for the efforts that you're doing? Because I think I remember seeing a post recently where something you had posted was like reported to Instagram and they deleted your post or something like that. And I've also seen mm-hmm. a couple of accounts pop up on Instagram that are actually fighting against what you're doing so and i don't know if you're aware mm-hmm. of those as well but I'm, oh yeah i am <laughs> I'm curious kind of what backlash you're seeing for the work you're working on there's been quite a bit of backlash uh primarily from people who i've called out and uh i suppose that's to be expected and yeah there are a number of accounts who that have cropped up to kind of uh counter what i not necessarily counter what i'm trying to do but uh counter the way that I'm trying to do it. One of those accounts is, uh, I think it's armchair environmentalists. <laughs> and their thing is, you know, they tell me to get up off my butt and go out there and actually do something about it. And my response to that is, well, you know, I'm kind of fighting fire with fire here. I'm, I'm fighting Instagram posts on Instagram. How else am I supposed to do it? You want me to like go stand on these people's lawns with a, a, a sign that says, hey, get it, stay out of the poppies. Uh, <laughs> what do you want? 
Uh, as far as other backlash, I've gotten, let's see, two threats of lawsuits, a threat of a, uh, what is it, when uh, when everybody comes together to, for one person for a lawsuit. Oh, like a class action? Class action, a threat of a class action lawsuit. And one cease and desist letter. From an actual law firm? Yes. And what were they wanting you to cease and desist on? Um, and using that person's name, any of their pictures, their business name, any of that in any of my posts or ever mentioning it ever again, um, due to the financial loss and emotional distress that I had caused that person. And what was your response to that? My response was, I don't have a lawyer and I don't have the money to deal with this. So fine, (laughs) (laughs) you know, whatever, I'm going to pick my battles. That's not one that I'm interested in, in in fighting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's it's fascinating. Just, yeah. And actually the first, the first thread of a, a lawsuit that I got was from somebody's dog picture that I reposted. Apparently people are very, very um, protective of their dog's Instagram accounts. That was actually the first post that I got removed by Instagram was a post about 10 dogs that were out you know, frolicking in the poppy field where A, they're supposed to be on the trail and B, there's not even supposed to be dogs there, uh, which was, that just kind of blew my mind. Yeah. So God, so like they were actually literally breaking the law. You were pointing out the fact that they were breaking the law and Instagram said, we don't care if they're breaking the law. That's their right. It pretty much, you know, Instagram is pretty much run by algorithms. So it was just, you know, one of those people probably mobilized their followers to come and just report that post into oblivion. If, if uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever tried to contact an actual person at Instagram, but it's, it's like impossible. It's impossible. So it, there wasn't much I could do about it in that case, but it was just mind blowing to me that somebody was going to try and was threatening me with a copyright lawsuit over me reposting a picture of their dog. And the, the, on the flip side of that, you know, if a huge account like say uh, YouTube's Instagram account, for example, reposted that picture, that person would love it. But then I take that picture and repost it in the same way, but kind of put a different spin on it saying, Hey, this isn't cool. All of a sudden it's copyright. infringement. I kind of got a good chuckle out of that. And that was another one. I just said, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. Send your lawyer over and have at it. Have you have you received any um, threats against you as a person in terms of like, you know, death threats or like, I'm going to come kick your ass or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, tons of them. Tons of them. Um, I, I called out somebody. Uh, somebody had a drone picture for, of the Golden Gate Bridge and the whole Golden Gate recreation area is a no drone zone that's pretty common knowledge so this person posted that picture and um, i gave this person the benefit of the doubt i said uh, hey this is a no drone zone and what's your policy on profanity here oh you can knock yourself out okay so i I sent this guy his his picture and said hey this is a no drone zone and he responded with suck my fucking dick wow (laughs) i was like okay, well, I'm going to repost this then. Have a nice day. So I did that with a screenshot of that that uh, message he sent me. Uh-huh. And apparently he's a member of a uh, photography group in the San Francisco area, the, the Bay Area Shooters or something like that. And those people came out with 
vengeance. They were pissed. I mean, I probably had 20 or 30 messages from people telling me that, you know, I was a parasite, that I was a piece of shit, like you should go fucking die. Da, 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 da. I was just like, hey, this kid's this person, and it turned out the person was 16 years old. I had no idea, but that's neither here nor there. I was like, you know, A, this person's doing something illegal. B, he's being and being extremely ignorant about it and rude about it. It's like, why are you sticking up for this person? This is somebody who, you know, people who are operating drones like that illegally are the people who are making it way harder for legal drone operators to um, operate their drones. Right. And why would you, st- why would you stick up and back up this behavior? It just, it- yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a lot of people out there that they know what they're doing is illegal, but they don't care because they mm-hmm. could have said, they could have said, oh, gosh, you know, thank you. I didn't actually know that was illegal and I won't do it again, um, which, which will be a totally professional thing to say. But instead, what they chose to say is, I don't care that what I did is illegal. It's like the only thing that's important is me and my be- and what I can gain out of what I'm doing. Everything else doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. And I get a, a lot of responses like that. <laughs> more than I, more than I care to admit it. It's, it's really, it's, it's sad. Um, It it just goes to show that these people are, are doing what they're doing without any regard for other people, the people who come after them or the impact that they're going to have. Oh man, that's super discouraging to hear that tons of people came out in their defense because it's clearly illegal. I mean, yeah. There, there's no, That's there's no gray the, area there, especially there. You know, it's it's illegal in the national parks. Golden Gate Recreation Area is a national park. The Golden Gate Bridge Authority that operates and maintains the bridge also has said it's illegal. There, there's, there is no gray area there. Uh, and yet, the, the, those those drone pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge, they're they're everywhere. One was on the front page. Instagram's kind of front page one day when I fired the account up and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, does this ever stop? <laughs> right. I had to laugh because um, uh, I'm from Colorado Springs originally. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Garden of the Gods. I am. It's a, it's a pretty iconic spot in Colorado Springs. A lot of photographers shoot and it's, it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. And I've photographed it lots, but um, it's funny because there's a particular ridge line in the park called Rattlesnake Ridge that is expressly off limits to any visitors and especially photographers. And it's unfortunately it's because like 20 years ago, some jerk photographer actually went up there and was cutting down tree branches to change the shape of the photograph um, or to clear a view for his images. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeez. And so basically there, the park's response was, well, we're just going to shut that spot down so that people can't visit anymore, which is unfortunate. But ironically, the same authority that, that uh, polices that, which is the, the park itself, um, often shares photographs that are shot from that ridge by photographers in modern times to promote the park. So mm-hmm. it's really funny. Even the authorities that are responsible for policing and enforcing the rules are complicit at times with driving the behavior that is is out there. Yeah, I I 
completely agree. I, there's there's a huge disconnect there. And again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. People just really aren't taking the five or 10 seconds to think about what they're doing. It's all about how can we, how can I promote myself or how can we promote this area in the best possible way uh, with no real thought about what the impact of that might be? Who else might try and go get that? Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on other than kind of what you're, what you're trying to do? Can you, have you thought about what are some other ways that we can start to change some of those underlying uh, motivations in terms of bad behavior or breaking the law or things like that? Is there, is there, are there other approaches outside of Instagram that we can do to, to end this? <laughs> it, it's hard, you know, again, we're, you go back to human psychology and um, a lot of people just tend to think about themselves. So I, I think that one of the most important things is when people are going to visit an area they need to do a little bit of research. You know, the, the world's at your fingertips with the internet. It's not hard to go and find the website of whatever park you want to go to and, and learn, spend five, 10 minutes learning about it and what's okay and what's not okay and what the rules are. Um, I, I think that that's the, the first thing that, pe- that people can really do. The second is if you see uh, people doing things that are, that are harmful that they shouldn't be doing, speak up. Uh, a lot of people don't react in a positive way at first. You know, I do it all the time when I'm out hiking and a lot of people essentially tell me they don't care or it's none of, the, none of my business. All I can hope is that by speaking up and saying something that they'll, they'll think about that and internalize that a little bit and hopefully in the future um, learn and not mm-hmm. do it again. I, I really think that that's that's all we can do at this point. Yeah, I agree. I, for me, I think one of the things that I think will have the largest impact is to try to um, engage uh, youth as young as we can um, and get them super excited about not only the outdoors but also um, how to inter- interact with the outdoors and and have them start thinking about what some of the possible ramifications of various types of behavior could be. Um, Because I think once you instill those values early on, it's hard for people to, you know, it's just, it's embedded in your thought process. And um, I think the best way to do that is, you know, by supporting various nonprofits and groups that are trying to do youth engagement. I know that, um, the Wilderness Society, for example, uh, they are they're working on a campaign to engage urban city youth to uh, spend more time in the outdoors. I, they're partnering with a, a group, I think it's called Trailhead Direct, um, where they're trying to get youth out of the inner city to trailheads and then take them on short trips into the outdoors so that they can do both education, but also just get those people to experience those places, not only so that they have an appreciation of them, but that so they're also educated on kind of what are some of the various issues that are encountered in those places. So I think to me, the answer is an education and starting really young. I I completely agree. And those kind of boots on the ground efforts are most effective and uh, the most important thing that we can do to get people to really care about these places. Uh, on the flip side, you you can only you can only reach so many people, <laughs> right? Uh, 
you know, if we think about, you know, just use my account, for example, with 43,000 people, how long does it take for to get 43,000 people out into an educational setting in um, a national park, for example? That's a, that's a huge undertaking. And I'm not I'm not saying it's nothing because it, it, it is something and it's super important. And like I said, it's the best way to really get people to think about these things and uh, internalize them. But I also think that with the amount of time that people and especially youth are spending behind a screen nowadays, that it's important to hit it from all angles mm -hmm. uh, to, to provide this information in a medium that people are, are using on an everyday basis. And, you know, in the future, I, I, it's hard for me to say what the future will, will bring, but in the future, I would like to be able to perhaps partner with some of those, those, uh, agencies that do that to kind of uh, connect them where you can connect people who are, are seeing what I'm doing and then give them a path where they can go out and and learn about these things in person in the real world in these places mm -hmm. yeah it's funny because you know if you have 20 accounts on Instagram with a million followers um, and they're all posting pictures of people in fedoras and Aztec blankets and all kinds of other ridiculous <laughs> products that they're promoting for Campbell's soup. Don't forget the Campbell's soup. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one, one post by one of those accounts can completely counter counteract a lot of work that nonprofits and people like you are trying to do. So it's, it's a pretty uphill battle for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think that what I, what this account, what public lands hate you is, doing it, it is having an impact you know we've gotten youtube to take a picture down that's 18 million followers uh just the other day condé nast travel posted a, a picture of people in the poppy fields and got them to take that post down so even if i have to reach those huge accounts one at a time and and do it that way I'm okay with that because if I can get the message through to whoever's running YouTube's Instagram account and Condé Nast's Instagram account that, hey, people are thinking about this. And if you do this, you're going to get called out and people aren't going to be happy. Then that's mission accomplished for me because now those people are thinking about that and that potential impact of them continuing to post harmful images that encourage people to engage in those harmful behaviors. Uh, no longer exists. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for me, that that's having a, a, a huge impact. And even though it's not immediately visible, um, the fact that you've got these huge accounts thinking about it, it, it does have an impact in the long term. I believe. Yeah, I think using those large accounts and thinking back to kind of you know operant conditioning, I feel like one of the most powerful opportunities that we have in this world or in around this topic is to try to convince uh, either brands or companies that share a lot on, like you're saying, Condé Nast and YouTube and National Geographic and things like that. Like these companies that people want to be represented by um, having those agencies uh, actually reward people for uh, doing things the right way or ethically or legally or whatever you want to say. Like, um, you know, if, if a brand were to say to all of its people that they pay for photos or the ones that they, or, or if the ones, only the ones that they share, they say the reason why we shared this photo over another one is because 
uh, it's clear to us that you take this particular issue seriously, I think that's going to change people's behavior in the long run because they're going to be rewarded for doing it in a specific way. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I'm obviously not in a position to, to kind of do that. I'm not in charge of a, a huge advertising agency or anything like that. But I, I completely agree that uh, kind of changing the status quo for what's allowable. Yeah, I think one of the other things, too, that I think is somewhat underlying some of these problems uh, that we're seeing especially like around drone usage or uh, commercial photography on public lands, which is where we often see these violations occur, is that there's a huge disconnect at the state and federal level um, for the agencies that actually control those permits and control the rules and create the rules. It seems to me like there's a very kind of all or nothing black and white approach that they're taking, which I think is causing a lot of people to say that's just ridiculous. I'm not going to I'm not going to follow that rule cuz it's just asinine. Here's an example. A friend of mine recently was going to do a commercial photography shoot on uh in Bears Ears National Monument. And so he went uh through the process to try to get a permit to do a commercial shoot there for the company he works for and ironically the company he works for does a lot of conservation work and that was the whole purpose of why he was doing the shoot. And he eventually, they eventually determined he didn't need a permit because it's a nonprofit and they're not profiting from it. But irregardless, he tried to go through the permitting process. And I can't remember the exact number he gave me, but basically what they told him, and again, this is just one individual with one tripod traveling to Bears Ears, maybe walking on the trail, maybe going off trail a little bit um, to, to get different perspectives of different things. They told him it would cost him something like $200 per day per location to, 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 per, to legally take photographs uh, there. Mm-hmm. And in the same uh, permitting process, if you were to want to obtain a permit to, say, graze cattle on the same exact land that he would be walking on with one person, one tripod, it would cost you something like 69 cents per head of cattle per, per day yeah. or something <laughs> like that. So it's, and then, and then also uh, if you wanted to do a oil and gas permit, it, the cost of that is actually less than the permit for a photographer. So it's really interesting how they've kind of applied this all or nothing approach. Now, obviously that rule as written was intended for like big, you know, film uh, crews with like hundreds of trucks and vans and like a big Martin Scorsese film shot on location mm-hmm. that's going to have a huge impact. But it seems to me like there should be more of a scaling of impact. Like, hey, if you're just one person with one tripod, like give us five bucks and call it good or whatever. Yeah. So I think that's part of the problem too, is that the people that are making the rules and creating the permitting process and thinking about what's fair aren't necessarily doing it a very very well to be fair i i i agree there there is a huge disconnect there and the example that you just gave is a is a perfect example of that um and i do agree that something should change you know i i'm okay with them giving free permits to to 
you know, individuals who want to go out and do a commercial photo shoot. But I think that it is important that there's some kind of conversation between whatever that agency may be and the photographer to make sure that everybody's on the same page um, with those rules. And I think that that should be the primary goal. Um, I also think that if people don't like the rules, there's a number of avenues that you can pursue to change them. Using the drones, for example, you know, a lot of people who are shooting pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge with drones are saying, well, I'm not hurting anybody. It's not noisy. The noise, of the traffic on the bridge is louder than my drone. So I'm just going to do it anyway. And my response to that is, well, those rules are there for a reason. Uh, you might not know what those reasons are. So if that's something that you want to do, if you want to shoot, you know, drone photography at the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, there are avenues that you can use to change that. And, and that's what you should do. It shouldn't just be going out and, and flouting those rules. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. The rules don't always make sense. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll agree. We, we could talk all day long about stupid rules that we, we don't agree with. Um, but ultimately, the I don't think that the appropriate response is to just wave your middle finger at the rules and do whatever the hell you want anyway. <laughs> no, I agree. It's uh, <laughs> it's funny. I um, kind of a, a little bit of a tangent, but it's it's super related. I um, I'm pretty well. I'm starting to become more and more involved um, in local government, and um, because I feel like a lot of people, no matter where you live, a lot of people, you know, you see comments on. Facebook or, you know, Facebook comments where local government will, you know, say, this is what we're doing. We're changing this rule or we're implementing this thing and it's going to cost $50 for a permit to do this thing or whatever. And people get all outraged, but they don't really ask the question like, well, why, why are you implementing that? And what are the arguments behind it? Um, so I actually recently uh, applied here in the city of Durango um, to serve on the planning commission. Um, which is basically set up to uh, uh, essentially we're a quasi-judicial board that which approves uh, land use. So like if someone wants to build a new apartment complex on property that they own, they have to go through this planning process, which kind of asks a lot of questions and ensures that it's in the best public interest and that they've thought through all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about being involved in that process is that you start to quickly realize that it's not easy to just say yes or no when it comes to a particular project or an idea or a rule or a law. You have to evaluate a lot of different information, a lot of data, a lot of perspectives, um, people's opinions, individual impacts, large-scale impacts. And at the end of the day, like it's almost impossible to make everybody happy, right? And so <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more about that. So it's, it's really difficult, I think. And I think a lot of people don't think about this. It's not easy to create rules that are fair. You know, it's, they may seem super unfair on the surface, but I promise that more than likely there was quite a bit of thought that went into creating those rules. You just don't know what those things are. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we can, you know, go back to the drone and your, and your commercial, uh, your friend who wanted to do commercial photography in Bears Ears with that same argument and say, yeah, there's probably is a reason why um, these rules are in place. And you, you may not know what the reason is, but they're there for a reason. And there's 
plenty of other places that you can go out and use your drone or that you can do commercial photography uh, without a, a super expensive perk. Um, so it, it, it is hard. I understand, you know, people want to get great pictures in these beautiful places, but there's a lot of competing agendas in these places. You know, everybody should be able to go to a national park and be able to enjoy it without the drones buzzing overhead or without a huge, you know, commercial photography shoot tying up an entire area. Uh, and you know, it, it is hard. There's there's no way around that. It, it's hard to keep everybody happy. Um, yeah. As I've found out many, many times with this account. Yeah, I think it's it's almost impossible. I mean, you know, it's, it's I think it's easy for people to say, oh, like, just let people do what they want. But man, if you look at the, the recent poppy field example, where it shows, I've seen lots of before and after shots of, you know, this location was pretty well, pretty much unknown. And then it got out, the word got out pretty fast that through Instagram, that this place was blowing up in terms of the flowers and how beautiful it was. And you can do before and after shots, um, like with drones and things like that. And you see, even after like a week, like hundreds and hundreds of social trails that just got created just because Mm -hmm. of the mass visitation. And, you know, to your earlier point, I feel like if you would have charged people I don't know, a dollar for a permit and then force them to, you know, watch a video or, you know, talk to a, a ranger or someone or a volunteer to say, hey, it's really important you stay on the trail. This is why it's important, because if you walk off trail and you create social trails, like the flowers aren't going to grow back in those places next year. And um, that may not be intuitive because it, these flowers don't they're not there every year, you know, it's like depending on the weather and things like that. So I think there's a, I think there's a balanced approach that we can take to also to educate people and not over police their behavior. And I don't know, ultimately you can't totally mitigate (laughs) our impacts. I mean, unless we didn't exist, these places are going to get impacted by visitation. So how do we, how do we minimize that impact? Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the, the charging people a fee thing, because that's what the, the city of Lake Elsinore did, which is where Walker Canyon is, which is one of the most impacted areas of the, the poppy field impact. And so after two or three weeks, after, after, the, inter, after inter, the interstate got completely you know clogged with people parking on the interstate, they said, OK, no more of this. They had an offsite uh, location for parking with a shuttle that was $10. And, and, and that definitely helped. But that scenario just goes to show how quickly things could get out of control with social media and sharing and geotags. Um, you have a city of 60,000 people that all of a sudden has 100,000 new other people showing up on the weekend, and they were just overrun. So I, I think that that's, again, part of the reason why people need to be thinking about what they're doing, because, yeah, we can put as many um kind of controls in place as we want to try and mitigate against impact, harmful impacts to the environment. But when you have a, a, a response to a natural phenomenon like the super bloom, like we've seen, there's only so much that can be done if people have their mindset on going to that location and getting the picture no matter what, be it parking their cars in the middle lane of the interstate or blocking roads, whatever it may be. 
Yeah, it's funny. I've, you would think that crowds and parking inconveniences and fees would deter people, but it almost sometimes has an opposite effect. Like, it's really fascinating that people, I don't know, for me, if I knew a place had thousands of people going there every day, I'd be like, I think I'm going to go somewhere else today. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, but mm-hmm. those, I don't know, people are visiting places for different reasons and I don't want to judge people for why they're going to those places. But uh, it, it just seems to me like the, um, there's not a lot you can do to slow people down to stop the, the hordes, <laughs> you know? There's not, there's not FOMO, fear of missing out. It's, it's a real thing. Um, and it's not just people missing out on a friend's birthday party. Uh, it's missing out on the super bloom over the last month and a half, really. Or the solar eclipse or. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I heard stories of, of, uh, in Wyoming, people showed up weeks in advance and were already camping and parking on the side of the highway like just crazy stuff that people will do to to experience something that, especially if it's something that's maybe not something that's every single year, you know, you think of like the, or it's pretty rare, you know, like the, the fire falls in Yosemite mm-hmm. or, you know, just, it's really interesting how people, I don't know, that FOMO, you're right. It's a, it's a huge driving force in people's behavior. It, it definitely is. And the, the solar eclipse is a perfect example of that. You know, I was one of those people who drove somewhere to go experience that. Um, but I, I wasn't one of the people who was in, you know, where I was, there were areas where the local land management agency, they, they were able to see it coming in advance and they had cordoned off area, entire areas of fields for people to park and, and do their thing but yeah that's just it wasn't my scene you know i ended up on a, a forest road that i could barely get my car up um you know by myself which was kind of nice but yeah it's it's difficult it's, it's a the the herd mentality is a very challenging thing to try to control mm-hmm. yeah it's funny um one of our one of our listeners um was kind of sharing their thoughts about education and encouragement you know, which is kind of the opposite of shaming in some ways. Um, But it seems like education and encouragement doesn't necessarily resonate for a lot of people either. Like, you know, they they kind of compare it to, you know, thoughts and prayers when it comes to, you know, gun violence or things like that. It doesn't really change the, it's still going to happen. It's really challenging. I, I feel like, again, if we can get at the root cause of what's creating people's behavior and then encourage them to do it differently or find ways to reward people for doing it in a more responsible way. I think, I feel like that's ultimately what we have to do. I, I completely agree. Uh, I do think that no matter what the positive reward, if you will, that you give people though, there are always going to be those people that, that that positive reward for doing the right thing isn't enough. And that's why we have law enforcement agencies and the judicial system, because there are people that it doesn't matter uh, what they're gaining by doing the right thing, they're going to do the wrong thing anyway. And that's, you know, as much as I, I hate to say it, that's obviously a, a fact of life. And I think that that's one reason why the public land hate you account is going to be around for a while. And there's always going to be people who 
need or want to learn the hard way, if you will. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit more in depth about the idea of shame, kind of more in, in, in general. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of uh, Brené Brown. Um, she's a she she's um she's pretty well known uh, for some TED talks that she's done on the power of vulnerability and her research on shame in the human condition. And she has a really great TED talk uh, that I'll share in the liner notes. But essentially, what she talks about is kind of the underlying underpinnings between shame and guilt. And I, I and you know there are two very different things. Like shame is highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, things like that. And guilt is kind of inversely correlated with those things. Um, it's uncomfortable, but it's adaptive. So like earlier, you know, I talked about, you know, some of the people that have come out and said, oh, yeah, I'm guilty for that. And this is what I want to do to change my behavior. But shame is often something that people aren't willing to um I guess, publicly addressed because it makes them super vulnerable. So I'm just curious, like knowing that for some people, shame can have serious um, psychological ramifications. Like, does that change the way you think about how you would approach your posts on Instagram? You know, I want to say yes, but I'm not sure that I can. Uh, (laughs) Again, as I said earlier, I I give a lot of these, and especially individuals, I give a lot of these people a opportunity to, um, I guess, feel guilty about what they've done in a more private setting, you know, be it through DMs or just comments on a photo between me and them or me and a a few other individuals. And I, I, I think that that is an opportunity that if they don't want to you know, take that opportunity and at least say, okay, you know, I'll think about this, um, then the, the, the public shaming uh, is something that's going to continue to happen. And I get that it makes people feel uncomfortable and I understand that it makes them feel bad, but I think that those feelings are a powerful learning tool. You know, I, I remember when I had just gotten my driver's license, you know, I was going way too fast in the snow and I took out my neighbor's mailbox and <laughs> that made me, that made me feel really bad. I felt guilty about that, but I went and I did the right thing. I took, went and knocked on their door. I said, Hey, I'm sorry about your mailbox. I'll fix it. And that feeling of hitting that mailbox and realizing that, Oh shit, I, I, I really screwed up this time sticks with me to this day. I still drive a little bit slower than I probably need to drive in the snow because of that. That's so funny. I have an identical story from when I was 17 years old. I was driving home from school, from high school. It was, there was snow on the road. I went around a corner about a block away from my house, heading home. And same thing. I was driving too fast, lost control of my car. My car took out the mailbox I easily could have just kept driving and gone home because my car didn't have any damage or anything. But I was like, oh, that's really bad. That's terrible. So I stopped my car, got out, knocked on the door, and I said, hey, I took out your mailbox and I want to fix it even though I'm 17 years old and I don't know how to fix mailboxes. I want to do the right I want to do the right thing here. And 
they were really surprised that I stopped and did that as a 17 year old kid. And and I'm sure it left a lasting impression on them. They, they, you know, like, like I said earlier, everybody makes mistakes and we could take that example and apply it to posts on Instagram. So let's say for instance, you know, I, I hit the mailbox and I went to the neighbor's house and I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to fix it. You know, we can relate that to a post about the poppies by somebody you're realizing they did it wrong and making a new post saying that what they did was wrong and how others can avoid doing it. Um, you know, the other options when you hit that mailbox are, uh, no, my car's not damaged. Screw it. I'm out of here. And I think that that is akin to somebody um, maybe getting called out by my account and then deleting the photo and pretending it never happened. Um, and then you could take the next step, which is now you hit the mailbox, you hate the neighbor anyway, you're going to take the mailbox and chuck it through their window, drive away chuckling while you give them the finger. And I think that, that you can relate that to the people um, who post these things, get called out, and just continue to insist they've done nothing wrong or even take it a step further and taunt people by telling them, hey, don't you have anything else to do? Get out of your mom's basement, go do something in the real world, you loser. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's. It's all the same. It's just in a different venue. Yeah, I, I so I feel like um, the biggest problem that I see with that this that what you're doing and what we're seeing is a perfect example of is just we're you know we're just now starting to see the so the societal impacts of social media and. Um, and I think that's what's driving a lot of this FOMO as well is, um, you know, on social media, people um, generally only present um, the best things that happen to them in life. You know, that mm-hmm. it's not very often that people are like, well, like had a bad day today. I did something really stupid. Um, and here's what I did. You know, people tend to, you know, just tell people about the cool stuff that happens, which then I think paints a very unrealistic picture of like what it's like to be a human in this world. Um, yes. And then it causes people to like super over adjust and do really weird stuff to try to get, try to replicate that same feeling that other people have shared in social media that may not actually be a real thing. And I think we're seeing that through some of this behavior. So I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that social media is a huge driver, um, not only for the visitation, but the under underpinnings as to why people are visiting in the first place, because they want to have an experience that they saw someone else have on social media. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And there's data to back that up. You know, you, Instagram was started in 2010, was bought by Facebook in I'm not sure what year it was bought by Facebook, 2012 maybe. And the users skyrocketed from 100 million up to a billion. And there's a similar trend that tracks that with visitation to our national parks. And it's definitely not a stretch to connect the two. People see these places and and they want to go too so that they can present their best life to all of their friends. And I think that it's um, the, the same as, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, which is a term that I think came out in the, the 1960s, except now instead of keeping up with the Joneses and maybe two or three of your other neighbors and putting yourself into credit card debt to get the newest car, 
Now you're trying to keep up with the entire world on social media. And that's an impossible thing to do. But it seems like people are still trying to do that through various methods. Yeah. I don't know. For me, just the whole process of going uh, doing this podcast, it's it's definitely made me re-examine my own social media use, and um, my I have a huge desire to use it a lot less frequently, just because um, I I generally think it brings out the worst in some of us, including myself. I I find myself saying a lot of things that I personally regret on social media, and it's and I haven't really figured out why because I'm not usually like that in real life, so it's kind of weird that. It happens. So yeah, I think social media is, it's just mired with all kinds of societal, I don't know, it's washing away a lot of what makes us human. (laughs) I I agree. And I think that in the coming years, uh, a lot, there's going to be a lot of studies that are done on it. And the results, I don't think will necessarily be shocking. I think we all already know that it's um, overall, you know, having a negative impact. But I do think that the results are going to be shocking when people start to see the numbers and hard data about how social media is impacting people and potentially even you know, changing the chemistry of our brain. You know, social media is giving you those dopamine hits mm-hmm. hard and fast and, and often. And what's the long-term impact on our brain of that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I mean, that's why you see people are like at an amazing thing, like they're at a huge sporting event or they're experiencing something incredible in nature and half the people are still looking at their phones. You know, it's like (laughs) if the dopamine you hit from looking at your phone is greater than the thing that you're experiencing in real life, that's, that's pretty fascinating right there. (laughs) Yeah. And you could argue that that's a a problem. (laughs) 100%, 100%. So what I'm hearing us say is that the answer to this problem is to get rid of Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily what needs to happen. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a, a proponent necessarily of hitting the reset button on technology and going back to living in caves and uh, <laughs> starting, starting fires with a Flintstone. But I am definitely. Uh, outspoken about the fact that people really need to be examining their use and the impact that it has on their life. And it's, I know that it's difficult for people to kind of step back and take a look at their own actions, but I do think that it's an important thing that everybody needs to do. And not only in relation to um, their actions or their use of social media, but just everything, you know, everything's interrelated and you might not an individual might not think that their individual actions are harmful or having an impact, but it, it does have an impact. And although it might be small, if you extrapolate that impact out over millions or billions of people that we have on this planet, um, the small changes really do add up and they do have an impact. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think the key is to get people to just start thinking about how they use social media, why they use social media, and also how and why you do things in nature. (laughs) Yep, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the things I was curious about too, have you had any reaction or response 
from the National Park Service itself? Like, have they interacted with you at all? I have gotten a few messages from a couple of the official National Park Service uh, Instagram accounts. But I'm sure, as you know, or as you can imagine, with the current administration, they... um, They're pretty shy. Yeah, very much so. So they've kind of reached out to me and just said, hey, we've got this kind of event going on if you want to support it or, or that sort of thing. Um, in unofficial capacities, there have been a number of people who have said that they're national park rangers, that they are land management agencies who have said that uh, they've, they've kind of said the same thing that I've been saying the whole time, that they've seen a market increase in the number of people abusing the public lands and they're, they're, they love the account and they're happy that somebody is finally kind of speaking out about it in a no bullshit kind of way. They're calling it like they see it. And um, the, these, these rangers and land people work for land management agencies, um, they're, uh, they, for the most part, are 100% behind it. Well, that's great because... I know that can be, um, they have an interesting mission to, you know, I mean, their, their mission is so diametrically opposed that the two goals they have, you know, to, to educate and encourage people to experience public land, but then also don't let too many people visit it because it'll be destroyed. It's, it's a really tough mission to uphold. It's it's really hard, and uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm not here to tell people that you shouldn't go to the national parks or enjoy your national forests on the weekend or, or anything like that. I I think that it's a great thing, and I think people getting out there and, and connecting with nature is important, and um, you know ultimately helps the cause of, of preservation. But it's a really hard balancing act, and it's hard to reach everybody and get out the information that needs to get out there to make sure people are, are respecting these places. It's, it's tough. I don't, I don't envy them at all. You know, I'm kind of lucky that I can kind of hide behind this account, if you will, and, and do and say whatever I want, um, where they don't really have that option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, there you go. You just triggered me to remember the question I was going to ask. Um, so speaking of doing this anonymously, I'm very curious as to why, you have chosen to remain anonymous and what do you see as the pros and cons of that? Um, I guess we'll start with the cons. The cons are obviously it's easy for people to say, who are you to tell me to do this? You're just hiding behind a screen. You live in your mom's basement, blah, blah, blah. You know, people can say whatever they want. And they, I, as being anonymous, I just kind of have to take that on the chin and, and I'm okay with that. Um, it's it's just it's part of it and really i think that that's the only con um i'm getting the message out there that i want to get out and that's ultimately my my only goal the 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 pros if you will um i guess there aren't necessarily any pros other than the fact that i don't you know i I don't necessarily have to worry about any scorn influencers showing up where I live and trying to burn my house down in the middle of the night because they lost a contract with a perfume company after I called them out. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's not, there's really no in financial incentive for me here. I, I have no interest in 
making any money. I have no interest in personally being associated with this account and, and having to deal with that. My, my only goal is to continue getting this message out there in the best way that I think that I can. And I think that the best way to do that is anonymously. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me, you know, thinking about how accounts are created on social media, you know, through a basically all you need is an email address. Uh, how, like, if someone were to say we're going to sue you, like, how, how is that even possible for them to even do that if you're anonymous? I have no idea. You know, I would think that they would have to. Um, I would have to be charged with a crime for them to, uh, for a law enforcement agency to reach out to Instagram and get a subpoena and get my account information. Mm-hmm. Um, all that's going to get them is a an email address and an IP address, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I I don't think that anything that I'm doing here really even approaches the level of a crime that you could prosecute. Um, yeah, it's harsh. Yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm a sarcastic person in a lot of what I say, but um, again, I, I'm not the, you know, I'm not trying to dox people and find out where they live and tell people to, to do anything to them. I'm, I'm saying don't bully. I'm trying to encourage everybody to be educational and polite in all their interactions with people. And I'm doing the same thing. Um, so I'm not necessarily worried about it. I know that a lot of it's just a lot of hot air that people that uh, are displeased with being called out are kind of uh, blowing my way. Yeah, I, <laughs> I it seems like, uh, I mean, those are all civil penalties, you know, like, or, you know, it's a civil lawsuit where they're trying to recoup damages because if someone lost a contract or something like that, like that's not a, mm-hmm. that's not a you breaking the law thing. I guess the only instance where I could see where you could potentially have something negative happen to your, you from a legal perspective would be if someone was so infuriated enough by the message that you were saying that they went out of their way and actually went and like literally hurt somebody that you called out. But again, like, I don't know. There's plenty of instances where, I mean, take, take the president of the United States right now, for example, he incites and encourages, um, maybe not knowingly, but you know, like white supremacists are super encouraged by some of the things that he says in speeches and then they go out and kill people and he's not being held accountable to that. So I don't know that you necessarily would be in any danger of, of that, but I think that is probably the only reason I could think of to, to stay, stay anonymous, just to have some peace of mind that people aren't going to try to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. And like I said, I, I have no interest. Uh, I have nothing to gain by being associated with the account uh, on a personal level. Um, and honestly, I have no interest in it. If, if I could get the message across uh, using a, an anonymous account, then I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, I guess the only disadvantage when I mean, it's a mild one, but it's basically like if you ever wanted to do like a TED talk or, you know, do a public appearance or, you know, something above and beyond being, an, you know, something that would require you to not be anonymous, like you wouldn't be able to do that. 
Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't personally, but uh, all I need is a small amount of plausible deniability to, to get up there and do that, to say, you know, I'm a, a, a close friend or a supporter or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you know what? They, they, they make ski masks for a reason, right? So people can, can go and, and do things and be anonymous, <laughs> whether be it robbing a bank or, or going up and giving a TED Talk. I'm, I'm not sure if anybody's given a TED Talk with a ski mask. Hey, first time. I don't time, think they have. First time for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't know, you can answer this however you want, but uh, would people be super shocked if they found out who you were in, in real life? <laughs> I probably not, honestly. No. <laughs> right on. I've always been uh, somewhat outspoken about my uh, dislike of people that mistreat the outdoors. Uh, yeah, I, I, it probably wouldn't be a huge surprise. I think what would be more surprising to people is how I find it, the time to, to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, no, working a full-time job that's you know more than 40 hours a week and traveling a lot and you know, being out in the woods on the weekend. Right. And quite honestly, I've, I've lost, it's been coming out of my sleep budget most recently. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know that's what I tell people about the podcast too. Like basically I just sacrifice sleep, <laughs> yeah. which is fine. Yeah. That's what coffee is for, right? Absolutely. Who, who do you think it would be interesting for us to hear on the podcast? Oh, I, I think that this would tie in uh, nicely to this conversation. There is an Instagram account by the name of ever changing horizon. And you know, the person who runs that account, believe his name is Quinn, um, has about 900,000 followers, uh, travels all over the world taking undeniably uh, fantastic pictures. But a lot of them are questionable what the, if, it's, if what they're doing is, is okay. And he actually you know, had a, a picture in the, in the poppy fields. But, you know, he, he, person wasn't you couldn't see that they were on a trail they're standing on this rock outcropping um and i'm 95 percent sure that there's not an official trail to that rock out climbing in that area that that outcropping in that area uh but what what can you really say and there's a lot of pictures like that and i i think that that would be a an interesting person to talk to about his travels and uh you know, how he feels about the impacts of, of his pictures because he posts a lot of pictures of you know, very sensitive areas that are that are beautiful. Yeah, you know, he had a picture actually uh, at I think it's Sebeku Falls in, in Arizona, which is on an Indian reservation down there, and uh, where swimming's not allowed. And that was actually a picture that uh, got taken down after we started or after I started uh, sending a little little bit of. Uh, attention his way if you will <laughs> was he receptive to that attention well the picture disappeared <laughs> <laughs> but he never reached out and said hey nope. sorry about that you made a good point no nope, nothing and and the thing with that is that those pictures get reshared by uh, tons of other accounts you know i've got i actually have that poppy field picture that i just referred to uh, on on my account right now and it was reshared by an account called Hike Five. These pictures, they go and they go and they go, and they lose the original content, 
text, which I think is also another important point. You know, you can take this picture and say, I was on the trail or it was Photoshop, but if somebody can reshare that picture without that context and, you know, who knows where it goes, who knows who sees it. Mm-hmm. Well, and even if they'll read it, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a huge challenge is, you know, those pictures get reshared over and over and over again. And even if you have a positive message of education inside of them, it still may not be read or it, it could just get reshared without the message and kind of lose all of its impact. Right. And, and that's kind of one of the things that uh, having a, a large following has been, uh, has been helpful, you know, where you've got the Condé Nast uh, travel example that I mentioned earlier, an account that has a million followers, they're not going to notice if, one person comments. But if all of a sudden they have a picture where they're getting hundreds of messages about it, the the word get it gets through to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I agree. It does seem to <laughs> it does seem to get across to some people, but not everyone. Yeah. It, and it's it's a fine line to walk, you know, like we talked about for the, sure. The whole, um, bullying aspect and trying to make sure people are respectful, but while also trying to get the message across that hey, what you're doing right now, it's not okay. Um, And, you know, as we talked about earlier, too, about posts getting taken down, there's always a potential that Instagram can decide to deep six my account. Or even if I go after uh, an influencer that has a huge following and they decide to tell their followers, hey, report this account as a bully. um, I don't know how the algorithms work, but I know that that's a risk, which is why I started the website where I back up um, all of my Instagram posts and a blog, but also have um, you know other content and can express myself in more than twenty two hundred characters. Uh, that's smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I spent an entire I spent an entire weekend uh, getting that website up and running because I was just like, I'm not sure where this is headed, but I don't want to lose you know all the, the the effort that I put in. No, I think that's a good idea. What uh, are there other accounts or other movements that you're aware of that you think people should be aware of? I mean, there's another, there's a number of other accounts that are similar to mine. Uh, one of the most popular is Josh, which we hate uh-huh. to, which was started during the government shutdown when people were abusing Joshua Tree National Park. Uh, there's unethical outdoors. Uh, there's locals hate to. There's Instarect, uh, and one of my personal favorites is called Trash the Planet where whoever runs the, that account is just has an absolutely hilarious sense of humor. Uh, you know, he posted a, a post today about the, the new official truck of trash, the planet. And, you know, it's an F three fifty going through a mud bog with a huge smokestack, just blowing, you know, black smoke into the sky. And, you know, the, 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 the commentary on that account, uh, that makes me smile once or twice a day, which, which I appreciate. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I mean, I guess I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to plug a movement that I've been involved in creating, which is uh, Nature First. We actually just launched on Earth Day. You know, we're concerned about a lot of the same, a lot of the same things that you're concerned about. However, our approach is to try to focus more on what individuals can do um, in terms of uh, changing the way they think about 
their approach to these issues and um, thinking through what some of the possible impacts of their activities might be, and then also what they can do in terms of education or advocacy to uh, make a difference. So that's uh, Nature First, and we just launched this week. So we're excited. Well, when this podcast goes out, it won't be this week, but we launched on Earth Day. So um, we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. And and I'm... and I'm literally smacking myself in the head right now because I, I have I have that on my list. And a number of uh, my followers actually follow that Instagram account, the Nature First underscore org account, and uh, reached out to me and said, hey, have you seen this account? Looks like you guys are, are kind of barking up the same tree. Cool. Uh, so that I, I think that that's absolutely fantastic um, what Nature First is trying to do. And I like that it seems to be kind of uh, focus more on the photography community um, because you know, as a photographer, photographers can have huge impacts with their pictures, be it negative or positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fantastic. Yeah, that's, thank you. Yeah, that's been kind of what we've been realizing is that for most photographers, especially, you know, landscape and nature photographers, we don't ever, generally, most of us don't really ever have the intention of having a negative impact, but, you know, through uh, social media, um, there can be huge ramifications to, to what we do and what we share and how we share it. And so we just want people to be a little bit more thoughtful about how, how people do that as photographers and think, think before you post, you know? So. Well, I've got a number of photographers out in the uh, LA area who posted pictures out in the poppy fields that I'm sure could uh, use some of your, uh, education if you will <laughs> <laughs> well right on well uh thank you so much for taking time out of your your schedule and and for coming on to the podcast i felt like it was a really uh great conversation and i appreciate um you being willing to kind of answer some of the tough questions that you've probably been facing yourself in terms of you know how you do what you're doing and so um thank you for that well, it was a it was a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, you know I appreciate uh, you having me on and helping me get the word out about this. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank the gentleman behind the account of Public Lands Hate You for joining us on the podcast to talk about what he has been up to. I really appreciate the hard hitting questions submitted by our community, and really appreciate his willingness to answer them honestly. I don't exactly know where I land in terms of the debate around shaming um, and his approach, but uh, hopefully his answers to the questions uh, make you think a little bit about what he's up to and maybe about how we can start changing people's minds about what they're doing in the field. Well, we are doing something new over on Patreon. Patrons of the podcast are encouraged to participate in our themed photo contests by submitting them to the community board on our Patreon page, which can be found at patreon.com slash fstopandlisten slash community. The theme for the last two weeks was Earth Day. We had some really fantastic submissions on Patreon, including my favorite from Mark Klafschenkel, which you can find in the liner notes on my website or over on Patreon. Mark posted an image of Exit Glacier in Alaska that really blew me away. You should all check it out. It has everything, in my opinion. A great foreground, great composition, great light, and a fantastic subject. 
Most importantly for me, the shot is quite unique and really captures the essence of Earth Day. Nice job, Mark. Here's what Mark had to say about it. Here's a favorite hike along Exit Glacier towards the 300 mile long, 100 mile wide Harding Ice Field. It's a nine mile round trip hike with an elevation gain of about 3,300 feet. Man, that sounds like an amazing place. I would love to visit someday. Well, all right, let's talk about the theme for the next two weeks. I wanna see your photos that best represent a subject that's backlit. I'll send the winner some awesome stickers that uh, former guest Phil Monson created, um, and I'll ship them off to you. All right, well, one last thing. Another easy way to support the podcast is to use our BNH affiliate link, which is linked in the liner notes and also on the podcast page on my website, uh, mattpainphotography.com. Uh, if you're looking to buy a new camera or some filters or a new lens or a new computer and you're going to use BNH anyway, why not just go through my little link and you can help contribute to the podcast. Uh, very passive way to help out. All right. Well, thanks again. And you can follow us on Instagram at Matt Payne Photo or F-Stop and Listen. And I'd love to see your photos in our Facebook group. So next week's guest is Shane McDermott. We had a really awesome conversation about contemplative nature photography um, and his vision quest approach to taking photos, which I felt like was one of the most interesting conversations we've had on the podcast. And it's something completely new that we haven't talked about before. So be sure to tune in next week. See you then.